Every life is a story. Some are bestsellers. I'm Chuck. I'm Karen. And this is Spy Stories. So who are you going to tell me about today, Karen? Today we learn about Marie Christine Chilver. She was a spy, and this is her story. Marie, better known as Christine, was born in England in 1920 to an English father who was a correspondent for the London Times and was rarely home, and a Latvian mother with one sibling who had a severe hearing impairment. Christine was educated at a German language school in Latvia and in 1939 went to Paris to study. Shortly after Marie arrived in Paris, the Soviet Union annexed Latvia. And that story, Karen, is Latvia was another one of the Baltic countries that declared neutrality and had non-aggression pacts with Germany and Russia, and they were both worthless, essentially, because they were so small. But when Germany and Russia signed a non-aggression pact with each other, they secretly divided up which countries the other could invade. So Russia annexed Latvia. They didn't actually invade them. They just said, how about you agree that we put troops here? After a while, Latvia kind of pushed back and Russia just said, ah, we're occupying you. Now, this all came unglued when Germany broke the pact with Russia and invaded them, which really disappointed Stalin because he called Hitler and said, but you pinky swore. <laughs> and it was just all a mess. And it's kind of interesting just in the sense that the Latvian men fought on both sides. When, the, when Russia had them, they were conscripted into that army. And then when Germany came in, they got conscripted into that. And for the Jewish population, the Russians shipped them off to Siberia. And, of course, the Germans shipped them off to concentration camps. Mm, right. Well, the annex left Christine's mother and sister penniless, and they ended up fleeing to Sweden. And from that point forward, Marie Christine made a, a vow inside herself that she would care for them no matter what it took. But while she was still in Paris... Germany occupied France, and Marie found herself in the Bouzansan camp. This was a detention camp for Allied citizens caught in Vichy, France. And one of the things that France didn't like to talk about much was the fate of the French Jews during World War II. They weren't bystanders in it. The French police carried out the vast majority of roundups of Jews for deportation. Now, she wasn't at one of those camps. Right. She was at a detention camp for Allied, again, Allied people caught in Vichy, France. That's kind of an interesting tidbit that I never realized before. Christine was 20 when she was at Bouzonsan. Her description of the experience was that there were women of all ages, including infants, being forced to sleep on the cold floor. A few lucky women were given straw-filled cloth bags to sleep on and dirty army blankets for cover. The prisoners were fed a daily meal of potato soup and gray bread. The lavatory was outside and had little water. None of it was hot. Barrack windows were usually broken, and the buildings were infested with lice and rats. Many women fell ill and even passed away. 
The issued uniform the women had to wear were from the army, and Christine's uniform had a large blood stain on the trousers. But even in such horrific circumstances, Christine's leadership skills and her ability to influence those around her were obvious. Christine was chosen by her fellow prisoners to organize resource collection efforts and to be the one to approach guards with really important grievances. Christine was also known for her great compassion. She would get up in the middle of the night to help the elderly and the ill to go down four flights of stairs to get to the lavatory and right back up, didn't matter what time of day. And she always made sure that they were taken care of. She also would use her feminine wiles and her beauty to develop friendships with the prison doctors to help get medicine to those who needed it. Christine managed to do everything she did with as much humor and wit as she could possibly muster. Once, while she and a group of inmates were trying to peel frozen potatoes and carrots, the women had no gloves and their hands were also freezing, and many times they would peel off their own skin by mistake. One girl, frustrated with their predicament, cried out, I just can't take it anymore. I'm going to see the commander to complain. And Christine, worried about the outcome of such a confrontation, tried to defuse the situation with, Now wait, if you're going to make a fuss, then I need to hide some of these carrots first. Just what we want for our tea, girls. Frozen raw carrots. Lovely. Now we'll be able to see all of our bed bugs in the dark. She escaped the camp and she made her way to Lyons in the British consulate, but we don't know the details of that escape. I bet that it was amazing, though. Oh, I'm sure it was. It's Escapes are always amazing. It's, it's really too bad that the details have not emerged on that. But while at the consulate, she met Flight Lieutenant William Simpson, a British pilot who had been shot down in France and suffered some serious injuries. Christine helped nurse him through his recovery, and the two of them spent many hours wandering the city together, going to movies, visiting cafes, and listening to the BBC's French service to get updates on the war. The two were close friends, despite Simpson having a wife back home, but there's no evidence of a romantic relationship, even though Simpson commented about how beautiful Christine was all the time. What is, what is your opinion? You think she was telling the truth or you think there was something there? I think he was in love with her um, just because of some of the things he did later. I don't or I don't think his feelings were reciprocated. I think that she cared for him, but not the way he cared for her. So you don't think there was a relationship there? You read a lot more about her than I did. So Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, they spent a lot of time together. I think everyone thought there was. I definitely think that. William and Christine traveled together to where William was supposed to report, and when they said their goodbyes, Christine maintained her practical way. She didn't get the least bit emotional, but simply stated, Bon chance, which means, Good luck. And walked away with not even a glance back. So that's why I think she wasn't in love with him. I I don't think it would have been possible for her to not look back, you know? Okay. As a refugee... Arriving in Britain, Christine was sent to Nightingale Lane, an interrogation center in Clapham. Now, this is where all the foreign refugees were questioned before they could obtain legalization. 
The information gathered from the refugees ended up being a very helpful recruiting tool for the British SOE. Especially because languages were listed, people's education and languages, and they were needing people who could speak fluent languages um, and could immediately go out into the field. Yeah, and they wanted, then so, often they would just get information from people where, where troops were, any, any information they could get, they would just question them kind of relentlessly to get any right, more so of, right. it, of information that they could get to help them. Exactly. Well, Christine's background and fluency in several different languages made her an excellent candidate for the SOE Security Division. After SOE officers interviewed her, they decided to place her at different training areas as an agent provocateur. The characteristics noted in her file included unusual intelligence, courage, and the uncanny ability to assess personality. It was this skill that she had to rely on the most in her new position. So, Christine was given a cover identity as a journalist by the name of Christine Collard and a code name, Agent Fifi, and then was subjected to several test missions, although she actually didn't know that they were tests at the time. She passed each examination scenario with flying colors, and then she began her real missions. She was sent to various SOE training areas and was always given a detailed physical description of a student agent that she was supposed to engage with, the agent's schedule, and the best places to bump into them. Each mission was 96 hours, and in that time, she was to try to obtain information from the agent, including their personal biographical details, their political ideology and loyalties, character traits, emotional stability, how much self-discipline they had, and how the agent related to others. She was then to submit a report to headquarters with an evaluation and a recommendation regarding the agent. Christine was an excellent writer, and her submissions were always entertaining as well as informative. One of her very first reports indicated that an agent gave away almost all of his information within the first couple of hours. And this included specifics on a sabotage, sabotage sabotage mission that he was to undertake after his training was complete. After analyzing her report, it was decided that the student should probably be released from the training program. But doing that was not a simple process because agents in training had already signed the Official Secrets Act. Remember that the Secrets Act forbade agents from talking about what they had done during the war, and they took this very, very seriously. There was a couple we read about that worked as codebreakers in the same place that were married for 40 years and never talked to each other about what they did during the war. So it wasn't like now where somebody would be putting up a Facebook post or an Instagram photo of you doing your spy stuff. Right. Hashtag spy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, because potential recruits had been subject to so much sensitive intelligence, they couldn't just rejoin society. So they were sent to what was called the cooler. Um, the actual name for it is really long. The Inter-Services Research Bureau's number six workshop. 
Yeah, and these are failed recruits, failed potential recruits. And right. There they made basic equipment and maintained the grounds. Now, their incompetence was deemed a bigger threat to Britain than Hitler. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, and <laughs> That's not good. No, and they said they couldn't just let them free to be, roam around society. The wow. secret information acquired during training meant that they just couldn't let them go. So they kind of retired them here. And they were basically the Barney Fife of spies. You know? And a lot of these people were like in their 20s and they yeah. just were retired there. They like, were that's retired they there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, those pe- they were like those people who interview really well and can always get a job, but can never actually keep the job or do the job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was these people. <laughs> and one poor guy. It's like the island of misfit toys, kind of. Except for this guy. There was a report on him and how he got into training. I don't know. But he was sent to the camp for being outstandingly ugly. What? (laughs) That's what it said. Outstandingly ugly. And the report said he'd be recognized anywhere. Once seen, never forgotten. Wow. He had no teeth at all. Except two gold tusks what? and two incisors. What? So I don't know. I mean, how would you like to just, you know, because these guys were put in there so they didn't get job performance evaluations. But how'd you like to come upon your HR file and just say outstandingly ugly? I mean, well, I mean, that's pretty harsh. Once seen, never forgotten. Yeah, that's something that, you know, you say maybe about Christine. She was so beautiful. But when people say right. you are so ugly, I will never forget what you look like. Right. That's yeah, just it makes, harsh. It makes me wonder if it wasn't like somebody writing it about his buddy to be funny, you know, like just like people would do now. But we, we don't think of them messing around like that back then but it kind of makes you wonder if it was just a joke that they were playing on somebody and it like ended up going down in history as something true right exactly and he got thrown into the retirement home this guy (laughs) really he was like no it's a mistake it's a mistake <laughs> Look, my teeth are fine. Look, I, got, oh my, I have all my teeth. I have no gold teeth. <laughs> I'm super handsome. I'm yeah. really, really good Look looking. Look at me. I'm like Bond. <laughs> yeah, that would. I mean, that would really hurt to see on your evaluation. Yeah. Just way too ugly for the job. <laughs> it's just. Well, I mean, you can't really follow people if you're that ugly. It kind of <laughs> limits your ability. Well, people but. are running from you in fear. It's hard <laughs> to follow true. them, and it's hard it's to be, you know, kind of. Kind of an effective, you know, blend into the shadows type of guy when you just can't really be stealth mode. Yeah. It makes me think of like you see a spy, you know, with the spy hat in the shadows. <laughs> yeah. But just like imagine the shadows, there's like this really horrid nose and like gold teeth are glinting in the streetlight. <laughs> as, as my as my stepdad used to say, even his shadow is ugly. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad. Well, Agent Fifi's reports were so effective that she received a ray in pay and a plethora of missions, sometimes involving assessing more than one student at a time. Although Christine's observations would usually determine the student agent's fate, sometimes SOE officials would make decisions without regard to her recommendations. 
And one such case was that of Tobias Skog, a very well-trained SOE agent who'd been given the rank of second lieutenant. Christine noted in her assessment that Skog gave away too much mission information and that his main fault seemed to be a matter of character, which is never good. When someone says your main fault is your character. Yeah, that's, that, well, it's better than saying you're so ugly because you can kind of work on your character. <laughs> you can't fix ugly. <laughs> you can't, not that kind of ugly. <laughs> well, she also said that his judgment is hesitant and his reactions are slow. It is probable that some experience would add to his independence and self-assurance and would also give him the ease of a man of the world, which he lacks at present. So, the SOE Norwegian section gets Christine's report. They read it, they consider it, and they think to themselves, hmm, this sounds like the perfect guy that we should appoint second in command of this, like, important special team. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And this team's mission, it was to blow up underground tunnels via submarine. Well, guess what happened? Well, he and his five-man team ran into a mine on the way to the mission, and they were all killed. And something that's very weird about that, when I was looking it up, Norway has like a big monument to them. Really? So I think th I don't think they contributed a lot to the war. So I think that was, you know, they had to make big deals out of nothing, but if you, you know, if you want to find well, out more They didn't even make it to their their target location. No, but they, you know, they it's one of those participation plaques, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, if you look up if you look I up I bet what I I bet the plaque on the statue does not say I bet it does not say his judgment was hesitant <laughs> exactly. and his reactions were slow. <laughs> well, and if you look him up on Wikipedia, you won't find him. <laughs> so, Which proves to the listeners, I do not get all my information from Wikipedia. Yeah. No, it's just I when I was trying research. to look up this mission, I, I ran across that on a Wikipedia page about the, you know, how Norway, I saw the little mm -hmm. plaque that they had and I thought, wow, you just, they ran a mini submarine into a mine. I'm not sure that. You want to publicize or brag about that, but... Well, the other thing I thought that was sort of funny about this... I mean, really, five people dying shouldn't be funny, but sometimes there are things that are humorous. It was a submarine mission, and the name of the mission was Mission Seagull. Yeah, it seemed doomed from the start. They should have just given him a shot and called it Operation Phoenix, maybe, but... <laughs> no, like sure. Operation Seagull. It just, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it was going to be an effective mission. Yeah, Operation White well, Shark would have been much better. Yeah, there you go. There are rumors that Christine bedded most of her targets in order to get more information. And some um, scandalous reports talk about that she she made notes of whatever men said in their in their sleep and things like that but she herself denied this and there's no official documentation of anything more than just flirtation she was also sent to befriend and test female agents in training but the constant deception finally began to wear on her because she was she was trying to sum up the whole of a person in a 96 hour window so she had to gain their trust 
and by lying to them and get all of their information. So that that's a lot. That's a that's a tough job. She also found herself very conflicted when she would see a decent human being who just wasn't cut out to be a spy. In fact, in one of her missions, there was an agent who kind of realized what he'd done, and he apologized to Christine, pleading for a second chance, and she found him so genuine that she went to bat for him in her report. Ultimately, Christine just got incredibly tired of trying to base authenticity atop a mountain of lies, and one report that she wrote said, I am at times inclined to think that the use of so malicious a ruse is most distasteful. Although her work was very important and likely saved lives and missions, and Christine had a pragmatism that was well-suited to the work, she also had a gentle side that caused her spirit to break a little with each mission. She knew she was influencing people to be their worst selves, and that knowledge wounded her in deep ways that she couldn't articulate but instead expressed through the passion of advocacy work. After the war, Marie Christine again moved in with her mother to take care of her and went back to school receiving a degree at the University of London, and then she worked as a translator. But really, the second half of her life was spent as an animal advocate. She was known for supporting animal protection organizations from all around the world. And after Latvia regained its independence, and Chuck, tell me about that a little bit. Latvia regained their independence. Okay, thank you. That was helpful. Well, when that happened, (laughs) (laughs) there was an opportunity for the animal protection movement that Christine so cherished to make a foothold in her homeland, and she dedicated herself to making this happen. In 1996, her official shelter program, known in English simply as Animal Friends, opened its doors. In 1998, Christine published a booklet to raise animal welfare awareness. She alluded to the moral fatigue of her war years with, Animals are such magnificent teachers. They try so hard to make us behave in a manner of which we need not be ashamed. I love that. It's touching. Yeah. Okay. It really is. I mean, it's it's true. I mean... Animals are wonderful like that. It really depends on the animal. My dog is kind of sketchy, but I guess other animals would be good. My dog is (laughs) amazing. Whatever, your dog is your baby. She spent the last years of her life caring for animals on the refuge that she shared with a friend and SOE widow, Jean Alex Felgate. Um, There are different reports. Some call Alex a friend. Um, Just a very, very close friend, kind of like a sister. And other reports say very clearly that they were partners. Um, Christine Marie never married, so we, we don't really know for certain. But they shared a home together from the 1950s until Marie's death in 2017 at age 87. Upon her death, Marie Christine did not want a formal service, and there was only one mourner there, Alex. Christine just wanted a simple cremation with a eulogy comprised of one simple sentence. 
She was a friend to animals. Christine Shilver was an observer of people. She was a healer, a deceiver, a teacher, an advocate, a friend, and she was a spy. She was a spy of spies. That, that's true. You can find spy stories on all the main podcasting platforms. If you like the show, please take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. You can find our discussion group on Facebook at Spy Stories Group. And you can follow us on Twitter at Spy Stories Pod. If you would like to listen to another fun podcast, check out That Was Genius Podcast. This is a weekly history comedy podcast hosted by two funny, yet very well-informed guys having a great time discussing... The Weirder Side of History. They can be found on most podcast platforms, and you can find out everything you want to know about them at thatwasgeniuspodcast.com. I listen to them. They're very funny, so check them out. The life of Christine, Agent Fifi Chilver, reminds us that no one is perfect, and people will disappoint you. But don't let that break you. And sometimes the best way to heal yourself is is by working on healing something else. Remember, as Harriet the Spy says, life is a struggle, but a good spy gets in there and fights. And until next week, keep fighting. (laughs) 